sometimes in historic buildings, you know, people will look around and say things like, man, if these walls could talk. Kind of the same applies to the High Spots office, but more specifically, <laughs> if the High Spots office refrigerator could talk, there would be quite a few stories to be told because there have always been like shooting reviews that we film in the back of the High Spots warehouse, you know, where we basically get guys drunk and spill all the secrets and talk shit about <laughs> Ring of Honor and then cause me never to be hired by Ring of Honor <laughs> because I'm the, the guy asking them the questions and getting them to talk shit and I'm feeding them beers while they do it uh-huh. and how many famous people have put their, their, you know, meals in there and how many times we've had White Claws in there and how many times we've had just nameless and countless beer. Well, I remember my, my first, first week, my first couple of days in the High Spots office. I was putting something into the High Spots office refrigerator, getting something out, and I noticed there was uh, Bud Light in there. And I was like, hmm, that's, that's weird for an office to have Bud Light in there. And I never asked any questions about it, but it just was always there. So I didn't know if like, my boss liked to crack one open for lunch or whatever the fuck, or after hours or what. I don't, I, I don't know. Well, keep in mind, I came in 2005, May of 2005. So, like, I've been there for a while, and I kept opening the fridge. I'm like, man, this Bud Light is still in there, and nobody's touched it. <laughs> and then, like, I remember, like, after, like, it being about six months or so, I was like, hey, why is there Bud Light in the refrigerator? And my boss was like, oh, well, we got that for Chavo Guerrero when he did our shooting review. And I looked up when it happened. It was in, in coordinates with a Carolina Championship Wrestling show in 2004. So, oh. like, <laughs> this beer has been in the High Spots office fridge for a year. Wow. And they bought it for Chavo Guerrero because he wanted one while I did the shooter interview. <laughs> so, you know, I feel the same way about Bud Light. It can stay in the fridge for over a year. I also keep some extra water just in case of an emergency. That gives you a headache. Yeah, I agree. All right. Hello. This is 10 Bell Pod. I'm Nick. <laughs> I don't know how to start this. Joined by Micah Loving. Uh, I just want to say this as happily as I can because I'm really sad about it, but I hope no one else out there has secret colon cancer like Chadwick Boseman did because that's fucked up and it kind of ruined my entire weekend. But I hope everybody's okay. Yeah, that was fucking brutal. All right, we'll see how this one goes. If you're a new listener, please just keep listening after this. Um, oh, I God. do these intros for Jake. Oh, All right, here we go. Oh, God. <clears throat> if you're feeling like a scout, go on and put your badges on. Ladies of scouts, too, go on, put your badges on. Camping is crazy, baby. Don't forget that Boy Scout told you put that badge on your shoulder. It was either this or it was big camping in the trees, so I don't <laughs> oh, know. Oh, uh, we can do that <laughs> next episode. And ladies... Put your badges on if you f- seem so fit. Like, I don't want to tell you to put your badges on or not put your badges on. You have your own agency, okay? Like, despite what Nick Alexander, forgive him. He listened to way too much gangster rap in the 90s, and he uses probably the word bitch way too much because of it. So apologize. Uh, I will apologize for him now for his errors. Man, today we're talking about a legit icon who I think gets a little overshadowed. For, um, it is the great Chavo Guerrero. Senior, I'm one of the few who have wrestled Chavo Guerrero, Senior and Junior. Like I don't, I don't know if there's a whole lot of people who have done that, except for everybody on SmackDown in 2004. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, or the Guerreros, or all the Guerreros, or all the Guerreros. <laughs> yes. So 
Yeah, uh, it's an interesting thing, and we'll get into that story a little bit later on. And also, too, like, every time I saw Chavo grow, he had, like, a different body type every time. Like, there'd be, like, <laughs> I would see him and be like, man, there's no way he wrestles anymore. And then the next time I see him, like, no, oh, no, he's in ring shape. And then the next time I see him, like, no, he's not in ring So I was, there was a time there I was like, man, are there two Chavo Guerreros in the world? Like, not, not not junior and senior, but, like, two, like, a guy claiming he's Chavo Guerrero that's not Chavo Guerrero. <laughs> like, there was always a little bit of that in my mind that was a little odd. But super cool, definitely, definitely a guy who's been forgotten about. And I think we've said on our Rushmore of High Flyers, I think he was in the discussion. If he wasn't, he's definitely should have been. Salvador Guerrero Third was born down in El Paso, where the tumbleweeds blow to the middleweight champ of all Mexico. January 7th, 1949. Chavo's dad was Gory Guerrero, who was... Pretty big legend in his own right. Uh, his brothers, Hector and Mondo, young Eddie G. And his son is Chavo Guerrero Jr. Yeah, he, he talks about in his shoot interview how he just remembers even at the age of three or four, he was imitating his dad on TV and polishing Gory's belts and polishing those boots. A lot of wrestlers say they were born into it, but as one Houston announcer said, he learned wrestling while he was still in the crib. Well, that's what those wrestling families, those second generation guys, they're so immersed in it and exposed to it. And the idea of it is so natural where sometimes like when you get into wrestling and you didn't grow up with it, it takes like years like, oh, I get what it is and understand this nuance of it. And like, oh, I understand it's a political machine and all that stuff. Like a lot of things you, you kind of learn over time where it where it's like a second generation guy you've been learning about the business and aspects of it for 17 years and yeah. someone like gory who was so well involved and had his kids and probably brought his kids around and it was such a family affair that you know they were selling programs and popcorn or selling tickets or right. doing whatever doing just little odd jobs around professional wrestling because they loved it so much and understand just the nuances to it and probably overheard conversations like ah this fucking guy didn't want to do the job for me <laughs> you know like when like gory came home was, was complaining that this one guy doing this or one guy doing that or one guy like fucked up and gory probably pulled his son aside and like hey when you grow up and become a, a wrestler don't be that fucking asshole <laughs> Like, learning that lesson before you ever take your first bumps is pretty invaluable. In the uh, high spot shoot, who uh, high spots do not sponsor us, Michael asked him, when did he decide he wanted to be a pro wrestler? And he was like, as long as I have memories, I wanted to be a pro wrestler because he was born into that family. Yep. He was also a really, really, really good amateur wrestler and even wrestled over at the University of Texas El Paso. Fuck. El Paso. Hey, Nicholas, I just want to let you know that El Paso is not a Japanese word, so I don't know why I <laughs> struggle so hard. Like, um, it's El Paso. Uh, it's not Kinchimoto. He wrestled until the program got shut down, and he would hop into pro wrestling, having his first match at 21 in Mexico. And El Paso has this very unique thing that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a border town. You could cross over into the border. And I think a lot of gory stuff happened in Mexico, but he lived in America. Um, so you go over, collect all those pesos, crumb across the border. And then, of course, like you have, you know, your shows there. He could also work the American territories. He could be doing a couple different things and just being based out of El Paso. But being so close to be able to travel down in there for work and, and learn that Lucha Libre style, but also while living in America, too, is probably very fascinating. And who knows the 
crossing the border was like back yeah, in, right. in the 1970s, 1960s. I mean, it's, we saw how it was in No Country for Old Men. So like <laughs> in that era of time, I can't imagine what it was like in the 60s and 70s. Chavo had very little to no actual pro wrestling training at this point, but with his amateur background and just growing up around his dad his whole life, he said like everyone was surprised of how many like moves he knew for his first match. <laughs> yeah. But following his first match, he was more or less trained by his dad. You know, he'd give him all the pointers, all the advice. And he began working in the NWA Western States territory while he was still a teacher and a wrestling coach. But in 1975, he asked the Funks to put in a good word for him in all Japan. And once he showed up there and just was the beast that he was, it snowballed into the legendary career that he had. Looking up the match history as I was doing research, you, you look at his first tour in all Japan, and it's no surprise, but it's like he, he literally loses every single match. But he was kind of getting the, that experience that, you know, we've talked about before with like the, the Super Juniors thing. Like yeah. he has the ability to work the American style in the American territories because he's based in El Paso and obviously the Amarillo territory and of course all of the Texas territory. So he's learning that rough and tumble Texas style. And then of course he can cross the border and learn the very intricacies of Lucha Libre and then having the ability to go over and learn the Japanese style of professional wrestling and trying to combine and create some sort of amalgamation. So he really is kind of like that proto guy that takes the American style, Lucha Libre style, and then the Japanese style, and then infuses it all together. I mean, he really is like the first guy before everybody else does it. I, I think Kinect gets a lot of praise for that. Fujinami gets a little bit of the praise of that, although he doesn't he doesn't do a whole heck of a lot of Lucha Libre, but he, yeah. he could do it and he could wrestle it, especially like somebody like Kinect. Like I think Kinect was one of those guys that he could wrestle. He could wrestle in the States. He could wrestle in, in Japan. He could wrestle in, in Mexico and he'd be a big star everywhere and he could translate to big guy, small guy, wherever. And then Chavo was definitely one of those guys for sure that could kind of just fit just about anywhere he wanted to he was just so damn good that at five foot eight he was still getting booked anywhere he wanted to in a time period where if you weren't minimum six two minimum 250 like you they'd laugh you out the building yeah well he understood like he had to he had to do some of the flashier moves and you know he had to do a lot more of the lucha libre stuff with the with the bigger guys and he would have to utilize that offense and he would have to, you know, experiment and, and get stuff in and in an era where you're just calling it out on the ring, like yeah. just being like, Hey, be here for this flip or like, Hey, stay. And then you, <laughs> fuck, and you <laughs> like front flip bump or hip toss me. And then you bounce off the ropes or do whatever, or you hip toss, go for the hip toss and you land on your feet or whatever crazy thing you're gonna do you just have to like basically dumb it down to explain it to them but then do your own thing mid-air mid-move huh. and be like hey this is, this is what i can do so that's what's incredible to me is like some of those proto early high flyers like they're going out there with guys that have never seen what they do <laughs> yeah. nowadays you could like get in a ring and be like hey here's this weird thing i do i kind of you kind of need to take a step here or you kind of need to give me your back or like hey i need you to roll on this or hey i need you to sit up on this or you know or, or watch out for this or do this like you have time to talk about it in their era you did it that's why you see like job matches with the rockers very early on guys are just fucking up their spots because they're just like we'll call it in the ring and the rockers <laughs> yeah. like well um we got this combination move where you need to stay in your feet after a soup kick at him and, right. and then take this and then i need you to do it. so it's like 
a lot of that stuff would get messed up. So you almost have to learn how to dumb it down and give or give them directions to where like they can't fuck it up. So not only do you, you almost like limited in your imagination, like, oh, I can't really do this because I don't know how to communicate this on the fly. But if anything, giving you that limitation makes you a better artist. And, and Chavo Guerrero was most certainly one of those guys, for sure. Yeah, that was one of my first impressions of actually watching Chavo matches. It was just kind of, I, I watched some and then I leaned back and was like, oh, he's just doing flippy shit. He's the, the flippy shit guy from yeah. back then. It was so, it was exciting, man. Chavo Guerrero, coming off the top row. So later in 75, he would start working in California's NWA Hollywood Wrestling. And uh, now living in L.A., he'd spend the next few years working out of California, making the occasional six-hour drive up to big time in San Francisco. And then he would uh, also hop into one of his biggest, best feuds with Roddy Piper. And see, this is... I remember a lot of the, like, Piper spends a good deal of his book, I think, in the pit with Piper or whatever. It's one of, it's like the second book I ever read, which is, which I read when I was a 21 year old man because I'm dyslexic and nothing ever interested me that I wanted to read in school. I could just bullshit my way through, like, the book at club. Yeah. Um, so, Personal. like, I got the free pizza all the time. Yeah. I, I, I could read enough pages to fucking bullshit my way through a fucking book report and pretend like I read something. So I never read a full book ever. Like, I'd at least get to the, like, close to the end, the climax, and, like, all right, I'm going to skip all these pages. All right, this is the finish? Great. All right, I'll just go to it. And pretend like I'm trying to not give away spoilers to my fucking teacher. Um, so, <laughs> when really I didn't fucking read the end all that well. But, uh, no, like, the, the second book I ever read was, like, Piper's Autobiography because wrestling books were more prevalent, and he talks a lot about Chavo Guerrero at this time. And, all right, I'm going to try, I'm going to try... I'm going to try very hard not to come off like guys that are online like, well, why can't we do this the way we used to type guys in wrestling? Or the idea of like, these fucking wrestling fans are so fucking sensitive. Yeah, I'm trying oh, to want to come. I, <laughs> gotcha. I don't want to come off like that guy. <laughs> but I do want to point out the hypocrisy of a lot of people that were like, Oh, well, Roddy Piper was such a great heel. But yet at the same time, too, if a guy says something that's controversial in a, in a wrestling promo as being a heel, they'll shit all over him and say that he should be kicked off a of TV and he should, his career should be fucking over because he said this as a bad guy in professional wrestling. But yeah, he'll talk about how great Roddy Piper was because you only <laughs> right. know about him from whatever clips WWE has shown you. But when you look back... At Roddy Piper's career, it is problematic <laughs> as fuck. <laughs> like uh, yeah. David uh, uh, Bixpen, uh, Bix, uh, who you know, I don't agree with everything that he writes, but I do appreciate everything that he does write. It's the best way to put it. He was talking about how Roddy was in a feud with Adrian Adonis. And basically the whole thing was Don Morocco was sticking up for Adrian Adonis and his lifestyle. And Roddy Piper's like, I don't want him to be on the television so my kids can see this man. Basically saying, I don't want to see this homosexual on TV so my kids don't see him on TV. That's like basically Roddy Piper's thing. And he was a huge baby face for it. And, and then also, too, Roddy Piper basically called Bruno San Martino the, the racial slur for Italians in Madison Square Garden. Even in Piper's book, he chronicled, like, he basically said the, the S-ick word uh, to Chavo Guerrero and would make fun of La Cucaracha and do every fucking edgy thing. So it's like, if you saw some of that, 
Roddy Piper would have got fucking canceled. Like, fucking yeah. tomorrow. And, and that's where I don't want to be that guy. It's like, you can't fucking be like, oh, well, this guy shouldn't have said this, or this is fucking wrong, or this is tasteless or classless, or this guy who's portraying a heel should not get this type of fucking heat because fuck you. Then also at the same time to talk about how great Roddy Piper is. Roddy Piper made his career on being a bad guy, being a racist. That's just, I, that's, I mean, yeah. you can't have it both ways. You have to fucking take his history in totality and understand and respect. Like, okay, well, this this was what they did at the time. We shouldn't be doing that now. And it is what it is. And maybe guys that are doing that probably recognize like, hey, what you did was shitty. Don't fucking do that again. Have yeah. a little bit of leniency with that when you give this other guy all the praise and just fucking sweep what he did underneath the fucking rug. Because I guarantee he said all kinds of fucking stuff that I could say on a podcast in the preface of this, but I'm not going to fucking say because I don't want to fucking hurt somebody's fucking feelings. Um, cause, and also, too, I feel like I can use language more carefully. But, uh, yeah, that's basically how Roddy Piper and Chavo Guerrero feuded was so heated. It was based off of racism. That's basically the point I'm trying to get to, uh, <laughs> is a lot of territorial wrestling was based off of racism. And that's how they drew money, and that's how they made money. When the guy, when the guy who was actually being racist actually loved the individual to death, that he was saying all these awful and horrible things to him. And the thing is, everybody, it was... It was race baity, yes. But did it draw money? Yeah, it did. Because these people like made careers off of it. And they thought they were geniuses and artists for doing so. But we have gotten better. We're going better with our language. When we can do better, the art form should do better. I've demanded myself to be better. I've made my mistakes. I apologize for them here again. <laughs> but let's not forget also, too, that shit fucking happened. What do you think the line is? From pro wrestler who is being a bad guy and trying to get heat to look on the other side, say you're in a movie or a TV show and you are a shitbag racist, you're you you're playing Hitler, you're playing a white supremacist, you're playing Donald Trump. At what point, where does the card stop? Where you're like, dude, I'm an actor saying these things. You know, I'm not I'm not saying this at Starbucks. I'm saying this in front of a camera. It's a tough thing, I th feel like, but what I've learned, like, I try to do a very edgy character when it comes to misogyny, and, like, I tried to be an example of somebody that uh, creates something of, of an effigy that fucking, in an intergender match, that women would want to beat the fucking piss out of. Because for a long time, I felt like you couldn't get those fucking misogynist assholes, but turns out we, we, we can get them. I feel like it's possible and get them, and if we, we fight hard enough, it, we, we could make the... the playing field fair for everybody uh, gender race sexuality whatever I, I feel like it's possible but right at the time i felt very much like i'm trying to have art imitate life and do that and do it satirically and over the top even then at the end of the day like wrestling's kind of people's escape a little bit in a sense so it's kind of like do you really want to bring up the fact that there's fucking like do you want to like capitalize on the fact that there are fucking people in fucking America that are carrying fucking Nazi flags and they say they're all lives matter guys like you yeah. know like do you really want to fucking like lean into that fucking at all cuz like it's fucking shitty and it shouldn't fucking exist anymore and we should just kind of do better and the art form should do better there's better ways like i don't like you and I, I fucking hate you like look at the way aew like portrays some of their heels like we're recording this just after cody rhodes 
he had the TNT championship, gave all these guys opportunities. Like the, that's what the TNT championship for was people to cut promos, get an opportunity to get TV time, get an opportunity to break their career, get something going. You know, Cody Rhodes, this, you know, got this beloved leader of AEW and then Brody Lee of the dark order just takes that fucking away, beats the fucking piss out of him, beats the piss out of Arn Anderson. And now the nightmare family is going to try and fight the dark order, but they're going to get the shit beat out of them. <laughs> and, they're just going to just beat the fuck out of everybody until that one day that Cody makes a comeback or he doesn't make a comeback. Maybe they're creating a fucking hero to yeah. fight the Dark Order. Maybe it's Colt Cabana from the inside. Maybe somebody from Colt Cabana's past can be like, hey, man, why are you aligning yourself with him? I know you're winning matches, man. And then maybe Colt is the big hero of the day and then he's ostracized and he needs a partner. Oh my gosh, it's Cody Rhodes coming out. And then they fucking take it to the Dark Order. There are fucking creative ways to create wrestling back guys that you don't have to use racism or political topics that exist today. And that's, that's a lesson that I had to learn just even a few years ago. And like, it, it's a crutch. It's, it's easy. And then clearly that's what they did in the L.A. territory with Chavo Guerrero. He was Latino. Piper came in and was just a fucking asshole and pissed off all the Latino people. And Piper was like, see, I'm a fucking genius. When really, it's like, it's easy. We, and it was fine for its time. And yeah, sure, it worked. And like, yeah, sure, for the time, you were probably a genius. But at the same time, too, we've evolved. We can evolve. We can all get better. That's why... Us looking back at promos from 2004 and 2005 and then be like, hey, this guy's a bad guy because of what he said in 2004, 2005. Yeah, it's shitty. We shouldn't have fucking said it. Shouldn't have fucking done it. But at the end of the fucking day, we're all trying to do better. We have to leave room for people to make more intelligent decisions. Apologize for their, their actions. I apologize again for, for the character that I played in Revolver and about five years ago or several years ago. I, I will apologize to the day I die if I fucking have to. You know, I, th I think it was fucking, it was wrong of me. I was I was playing the lowest common denominator. I was doing something fucking easy, and I feel like I'm better than that. I feel like I'm far better than that, and I haven't done anything remotely close to that whatsoever, and nor will I ever again. And even take someone like Dustin Rhodes when I wrestled him. I thought, like, you want to do some, like, your androgynous stuff with me? And he goes, no, I don't do that shit anymore. Like, he cut that <laughs> shit out, like... He, he cut that shit out, like, ten years ago. And, like, you, you can evolve. You can change. You, you can... You, you make mistakes, but we can, we can all do better. And it's more about what you do today. And, like, if your behavior has been indicative of change, then I, I think that should be respected and understood. And if you lose fans because of something you did in the past, understand, like, okay, well, that's a hit I took. That is a very long rant in the middle of this. But, but that's basically what the whole feud was based off of was, like, uh, I fucking hate Latinos, and we're in a huge Latino market. Do, do you not think it's also because, I mean, you got movies, TV, literature, when you portray race or you tackle something like that. I mean, they don't fucking hate the characters from movies forever because they portrayed a racist character. Do you think it's just kind of how they view wrestling as more an exploitive art form and how it's lower than that? You shouldn't do any of that. Well, because wrestlers are supposed to be like who they are on TV is who they are. Like if you meet Ric Flair, right. you're meeting Ric Flair. Right. You know, yeah. that, that's where the line is born. Like you meet Leonardo DiCaprio, you're not meeting Leonardo DiCaprio from Django Unchained. Like you right. fucking exactly. know that. Exactly. Because he's played a, a multitude of other characters, which I mean, you know, speaking of that fucking is true, just the variety. Le le leaning on a fucking crutch, fucking Tarantino. Like 
Don't even get me fucking started on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I want I want to fucking scream at you, Micah, about that. Oh, movie. dude, that fucking movie's brilliant. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> it is. We'll get in a fight later. Okay, we'll get in a fight later. Let's get back to Chavo Guerrero. <laughs> all right. I, I will say, uh, Piper wasn't all about the racism. He also did mom jokes because, for one angle, Piper brought in an actual donkey and cut a promo as he was pretending that the donkey was Chavo's mom. So Piper, you know, he he's, he he went out there. One angle that I was not aware of that uh, thanks to Richard Berger of the Wrestling Classics message board, he talks about how there was a feud where Roddy Piper somehow gained control of Chavo's contract and he forced him to wrestle as a heel. So it would be Chavo in matches and the crowds behind him. This is when, you know, he's the huge baby face. But because Piper has control, he's making him, he's like, yeah, yeah, kick him when he's down. Yeah, yeah, uh, gouge his eyes. Do all these eye pokes. And the fans are so conflicted because they love him, but they also know he has to do this because of the power that Piper has over him. So eventually, this is when it turns into Guerrero says, fuck it. He's done with it. He blows up. And that's when their feud really ignites and they start having all these gimmick matches. Their first gimmick match was a closed fist star legal match, which I'd never heard of, which was pretty cool. They, they had a combination judo jacket and catch his catch can two out of three falls. And as Chavo said on the shoot interview, if they say you're having a cheesecake match, we had to make it work. This is also about the time that there's a lot of magazine articles and they dub Chavo Guerrero as... The guy who's like, promoters would pay a million dollars to bring him into their territory. And the idea of a million dollars at this time was like astronomical. Like, what? Yeah. A wrestler is worth a million dollars? And I mean, there'd be guys in the locker room that make a joke about it or whatever. But I think everybody realized like, oh, yeah, we'd be lucky to have him here for sure. Like, he's he's worth a million dollars. And like, it, it was something that wasn't like eye rolly it was like no he's that incredible like he's a million dollar guy and that was like something that kind of made the rounds and kind of bolstered him in like the after mags and everything that he was like the million dollar guy and just imagine how fucking unique he was because he's bilingual yep so he can talk shit to hispanic people americans he can do babyface promos to both and also just in an era of 17 minute knee bars, this motherfucker is, has to be so exciting to watch. Like I know we give Dynamite Kid a ton of credit for being this in, in the WWF, you know, when he popped into Madison Square Garden or whatever. But I mean, he's guys doing this in the 70s. And it was also huge because this is a uh, Hispanic satellite TV was pumping into Los Angeles. So I, when I was doing research, there was so many YouTube comments of people just talking about, I remember watching this on UHF channel so-and-so. Before a black and white TV in the middle of the night, I'm lying on the floor, I'm bathed in blue light. The telecasts in Spanish, I can understand some, and I need justice in my life. Here it comes. So many people, when I was looking at uh, comments, just had memories out the wazoo talking about this stuff. And the one, I would say, if you can only watch one Chavo Piper thing on YouTube, watch uh, Showdown of the Century, September 1978. This is building up to their Loser Leaves Town chain match, where four titles are on the line. You get to see Rowdy Roddy Piper in a tuxedo shirt, gouging out the eyes of a mannequin that he is pretending is Chavo Guerrero. He then starts whipping it with a chain, screaming, I'm going to kill you, Chavo. I hate you so much. Chavo comes out, baby face on fire, screaming that the plastic surgery Piper's going to get is going to help him look better. And then the, the, the best piece at the end is it cuts to the promo hype announcer who's talking about the card and rattling everything off. In the middle of the dude trying to hype up the card in the back, 
Piper and Chavo have a brawl around him as he is trying to hype up the fucking card. It is marketing and advertising at its peak. It's gorgeous. In 77, he'd get his first work in the WWWF for Vince Sr. And in the shoot, he really went on about how like this was so much exposure at once and how how crazy the fans were and how big of a deal it was for him. Yeah, they're ripping off his clothes, according to him. And the thing is, too, like the magazines have already circled around, and that's where a lot of the magazines are published in New York. So he's getting a lot of notoriety. And of course, but to do the garden, you know, if you can make it in New York, you make it anywhere. It's just as true in professional wrestling. And, you know, him wrestling in the garden for WWWF is just um, the tip of the iceberg. It, it still means a whole heck of a lot. Um, even to this day, but like, it's definitely at that time, it was still, you know, when all the promoters are working well with each other, the idea is like, Oh, if I can get to New York for a few, few months run, especially if you're a big nasty heel, like, man, if I can just feud with Bruno in the garden for three months or so, <laughs> like the rest of this shit is just, I'm, I'm, I'm paid, I'm bank. The, the magazines are going to cover it. I'll be a main draw on any territory. I go from here on out. And if you look at some of the old territory footage, even like Southwest or some of the other places, like, especially before Vincent Kennedy McMahon took over, you know, you you have a guy come in and they'd be like, oh, Ivan Putsky, you know, uh, you just got back not too long ago from New York City and wrestling at Madison Square Garden. Tell us what it's like. Like, that was usually like the first thing when you, they would have their introductory interview into the territory. They, one of the things they would do, they introduce the guys like this guy's wrestling in Japan. He's wrestling in New York City and Madison Square Garden. They would always use it as like a big introduction. Like this guy has made it all these places and now he's here on television in memphis uh, channel five like not even talking about what just happened in the matches last week you know or tell us about the last time you're here in florida no like tell us about what happened in madison square garden getting there was like a solidification of like hey this is a made guy he's gonna be a main eventer across the country in whatever territory he goes to so he'd finish at the 70s, bouncing between New Japan and NWA Hollywood. In 1980, he'd end up as part of the Showdown at Shea show, taking on Tatsumi Fujinami. And this is, of course, the card with like the first ever Hogan Andre. You got Bruno and Larry Zabisco. It's a pretty fun match. Kind of cool context on the YouTube version. You got Michael Cole and Foley on commentary, but they actually give some good info for everything. I would say watch uh, Chavo versus Fujinami uh, 5980 for a better match that's pretty accessible. It's on Daily Motion. The Shea Stadium match is good, but I would seek out the other one. Well, and, and Fujinami and Chavo had such chemistry together. It, it's almost like a perfect storm. Yeah. In the sense we talk about Dynamite Kid, being so, so revolutionary the thing that made him so revolutionary is he has such a great dance partner in tiger mask so i mean tiger mask was just as revolutionary uh as dynamite kid was where I, fujinami and and chavo were still very you know very sound fundamentally the idea of high flying hadn't really been invented yet because they were making it up as they go too yeah. um the thing is also too is chavo had that wrestling background but fujinami obviously had an extensive wrestling background also too fujinami had that strong style but then chavo wrestling in texas he's gonna come back just as strong and then their ability to do some of the bigger high spots uh they just work well and had some fluidity it'd be interesting to see like if they had a little bit more time and and thought to expanding outwards some of the the bigger high spots and some of more of the aerial stuff and getting to work together but also, too, keep in mind, Fujinami, you know, speaking Japanese, Chavo, like, growing up 
primarily probably speaking Spanish and yeah. also then speaking English, like trying to communicate with those guys and dealing with the language barrier, but it's still understanding the basic of professional wrestling. And, and like over time, that match is going to get better because then they would understand the language of each other's wrestling better. So it, it, as more of the time went on, it would have been interesting to see how their matches would grow throughout the years. And I will say, uh, Chavo talks about how one of his big breaks was a two out of three falls match with Fujinami that was a one hour draw. And I dug and dug for this, but I couldn't find it anywhere. So if anybody out there has it, send it my way. So by the 80s, he was really cooking. Like he was getting a lot of work around the world and he would start splitting his time between all Japan, Mid-South, Florida, and Houston wrestling. Because he's a made guy now. Like he's yeah. worked New York. <laughs> he's he's now the big draw whenever they, they come through. And uh, gosh, early 80s, I'm trying to think of a place in Mid-South. Like they, they probably had just made the shift to like smaller talent at that time. Because for a long time, Mid-South was known as like a big man's territory. And then Bill Dundee came in. Also the Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express came in. Terry Taylor was there and like the talent exchange from Memphis to Mid-South kind of revamped that territory and took it from this big man territory to smaller guys that, that did a lot more high spots. And depending on the time period of when Chavo was there, like bringing him in and getting him to wrestle with some of the smaller guys probably was a unique attraction to, to all of that. And of course, like Houston wrestling, that was always considered the, the big money town. Like it was just like two towns, but it was considered a territory because you made so much money in Houston. Like, uh, And obviously like anywhere in Texas is probably like wonderful for him to wrestle because he's just. It's close, probably close to home. You know, he probably sees family, if it, depending on where the house show is or the spot show or if they want to come see him. Of course, like, you know, CWF is said Florida. He would just be, you know, brought around to have a good match with whoever the, the junior heavyweight guy is in every territory. 82, 83, 84. He gets into some really cool uh, feuds around the world and... 82, he'd feud over the international junior heavyweight title with Onita in yeah. All Japan Wrestling. As a tapehead, just watching the Onita matches, man, they are. They they feel modern as shit. There's one, uh, the, the high spot shoot that Chavo does, there's one mixed in. And this was some of my first exposure to Chavo, man. And it really was like, man, they're doing everything. It was like, they're mat working, they're doing creative spots, they're doing high spots, they're doing bumps. It was just, you know, we're used from being a teenager and watching Onita get blown up by 50,000 pounds of dynamite and then seeing Onita doing flying head scissors and shit. It was pretty unbelievable. Well, the whole reason that he became known as the quote-unquote garbage wrestler guy is because he had a, a, (laughs) a terrible knee injury. And he tried to come back... And do some of that high-flying stuff, but he just, he couldn't, and obviously knee surgeries back then, like, and I don't know what healthcare was like in Japan in the early 80s. I know if you got an early 80 knee surgery in America, you were fucking done at anything (laughs) athletic. So, I mean, I can't imagine Japan being a whole lot better. So, Anita had to evolve into that fucking, like, hardcore wrestler guy. But yeah, early in his career, he was known as the high flyer guy. And that's the thing, too, is like he was really kind of the guy that all Japan was hoping to build their junior division around because you could see what was going on over there in New Japan's junior division with Tiger Mask, Dynamite Kid, Davy Boy Smith, 
Kobayashi and what they were building over there. So All Japan was trying to do the same and do it with Chavo Guerrero. And there was a lot of hope putting into Anita and kind of like Anita kind of sunk the whole thing with him getting hurt. And like that was kind of the thing that, that brought it all down. And it never, it never picked up any steam because they could never figure out who that face of their juniors division was. Yeah, the, one of the coolest things is when I used to live in Charlotte and I was right across the street from the Coliseum. It was cool. Like, man, Flair used to be there and, you know, having matches with Wyndham and Luthez had some matches there and stuff. But then I found out that um, Chavo actually lost his NWA International Junior title to Onita at the fucking Charlotte Coliseum. And if you want to look up that card, it's unbelievable. Baba's in it. It is stacked out the butt. And I was just like, man, they were that close to me at one point. It was kind of a fun geek out moment. Then in 83, he would feud with Gino Hernandez in Mid-South Wrestling. So you have like one of the best, smoothest talking heat magnet motherfuckers yeah. ever, Gino Hernandez, going up against the lovable underdog, high-flying, exciting babyface. That's just gold. Just imagine the promos they could cut, both being bilingual, like the idea. I think I think Gino knew a little Spanish. Maybe enough for him to cut a, at least a decent enough promo for a town. Like they could cut like promos in English and Spanish for each one of the markets. Like that's oh that is true. Oh, <laughs> as a marketer <laughs> yeah. today, that sounds fucking salivating. Oh, man. Um, that, and that's another reason why, it, like every time, like people like. They do market research and they say, oh, Charlotte's got a large Latino community. Let's run Lucha Libre USA or Lucha Libre whatever. Let's run our first Rick of Honor show. Let's make it like a Lucha Libre show. It's like, no, man, like it needs to be very authentic. You, you'll, you'll see right through it. And, you know, one of the things obviously is to speak the language and to have somebody like Chavo Guerrero speak your language as fluently as he did and as authentically as he did in, in a promo, that's going to make you, like, buy tickets. That's the thing, like, in any country, if you take the time to learn the language, that's why fucking French hate us so much. Like, <laughs> you know, representation is so fucking important at the end of the day, you know? Like, someone, someone like me, somebody that speaks the way that I do is doing this. That's why it's so important. In 84, he and his brother Hector Guerrero went down to Championship Wrestling from Florida and got a hold of the tag team titles feuding with the U.S. Express as well as the breakdancers Mark Reagan and motherfucking Brickhouse Brown. <laughs> and this is when the Guerreros are coming out in full bullet ba bandolero, bandoliers. Sorry, bandolero is the outlaw. I had to do some learning. And they got sombreros on, and they're coming out the mariachi music. I mean, it is stereotype on top of stereotype. And you know, Hector, very underrated as well. Hell yeah! Hell yeah. He just, he just, he probably just was a little too skinny. Um, like he looked like Eddie did in the beginning of Eddie's career, and Eddie obviously bulked up yeah. to, uh -huh. to a sizable amount. But like you know, Chavo always kind of was a little bit thicker. But yeah, like like Hector looked like such a like a child next to him, so it's easy to get heat on. Hector and they just get Chavo the big fucking hot tag and him doing all the spectacular moves. So it's easy. And you know, he's got his brother to watch out for him. So they get, they're watching each other's back. So it's great. 85 through 87, he was back in Mid-South working against the Rock and Roll Express, Dr. Death Steve Williams, Ted DiBiase. So, I mean, his five degrees of, of separation, Kevin Bacon thing is he's touched the entire industry by now. One uh, Rock and Roll Express match with Chavo and Hector I got to recommend. 
It has a spot I have never fucking seen in my life, and it legitimately blew me away. Two thirteen eighty-five. Okay, I'm gonna try to paint this picture, so bear with me. So Hector and Chavo get Ricky Morton up in a Mexican surfboard together. So Hector has one leg, and Chavo has the other, and they each are cranking, and they pull Ricky Morton up into a Mexican surfboard. Robert Gibson, who just got knocked out by a plancha, is on the outside, but he gets up and he gets into the ring and he dives through the Mexican surfboard, like all their arms and legs that are still stretched out, putting him in the submission hold. And Robert Gibson lands on top of both Guerrero brothers and pins them both while they both have Ricky Morton in a Mexican surfboard submission hold. It fucking made me lose my mind. It's so cool, not only because they attempted it, because with those four guys, they nailed the shit out of it. I would recommend that big time. Also, uh, he has a match with Tiger Mask 2, who is Masawa. It's really cool to check out, I would recommend. I would also check out Chavo and Gino in Houston Wrestling. They as one of the best matches that I saw of all I watched, two out of three falls match. At the beginning out of this, of this match, you get to see Gino beat the shit out of a fan who overstepped his bounds. Buzz Sawyer and him have a great match in Houston I would check out. I could go into all these, but digging into all of Chavo's stuff throughout all these territories, there's some great work. All his matches are, there's so many different ones. Like Jake said, he adapted so fucking well. And I almost forgot my second favorite match of all of Chavo's stuff. You have to watch Chavo versus Rip Rogers in WCCW. It, it's a goofy kind of comedy match, but it's mixed with creativity. There's a couple spots never seen before in my fucking life. It, it shows so much of Chavo and Rip, and they do it, you know, it's fluid as fuck. Please watch Chavo versus Rip Rogers and WCCW. I, I can't say enough about that match, as weird as that sounds. Chavo would spend the bulk of his time throughout the entire decade of the 90s in Mexico, dropping into Japan from time to time. So, I mean, he missed the Monday Night Wars. He missed Nirvana, Pepsi Crystal, <laughs> the, the Bulls run. He really, really, really skipped out. I will say, just for a history standpoint, the match isn't that great. But if you want to see, all right, get a load of this. We got uh, a f- eight-man tag. This is on the Wrestling International Network. I don't I don't know. I'll have to look that up. But uh, we got Chavo, Hector, Mondo, and Chavo with Gory in their corner versus Negro Casas, Crazy 33, Ari Romero, and Bonsai. You get to see all five of those dudes in a ring. It's a lot of history in there, and it's cool to watch. There's some CMML, CMLL matches with Chavo, Mondo, and Eddie doing six-man tags. I didn't get to watch too much, but... They're out there if you want to find them. It's it's good, interesting stuff. Yeah, a lot of the like '90s stuff, especially like early like 1990 and stuff like that. He's he's teaming with his brothers a lot and trying to get this brother's career going a little bit. And of course, Eddie's getting involved a little bit more. So you're you're seeing like the four of them, the three of them. You're seeing different combinations. Like you look at a lot of like '90, '91, '92 tape traders. Like you'll see like. Chavo, Hector, and Eddie, uh, or, you know, because Mondo's out there doing Hollywood stunt work or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. So you, you'd you see a lot of combinations. And, of course, Hector tagged a lot with Eddie, and, like, Hector probably spent more time with Eddie and, uh, than anything, where Chavo was such a big star that, you know, you know, bringing Hector along was one thing, but then you got the youngest brother, Eddie, and there's such a age gap between Eddie and Chavo that it's, I mean, heck, I mean, Chavo's son is basically 
closer in age to Eddie than Eddie is to his own <laughs> yeah, brother. Yeah, so yeah. it's like this weird thing, which, you know, my dad grew up in a family like that. Like I was probably like just a few years away from being closer to my Uncle Steve because my Uncle Steve, like I was like 10 when my Uncle Steve graduated high school where my dad had already like obviously had me went through college <laughs> like Steve was like maybe like a six-year-old kid when my dad was in college so it was like there's wow. this big gap where I like like I was a little bit close like just a few few more years earlier or later me and Michael C would have been like Eddie and Chavo Jr. It was probably kind of hard for Chavo to like see someone like Eddie because he's like man there's such a generational fucking gap between these two that like it's hard to, to get along that's why Hector I think was a little bit closer and brought Eddie along more so than Chavo but like there'd be those six-man tags where like Chavo's the star and people have come to see him and he's gonna watch the brothers like Hector and Eddie and but obviously later that would change Jake brought up a great point there with all all three of them I forgot to bring it up but there's a great AWA interview with Bill after interviewing Mondo Hector and Chavo and this is when they're feuding with Bad Company, and you could hear Chavo Guerrero talk shit about DDP, which is just a weird world's colliding. But at the end of it, Chavo says, and my brother Eddie, he's coming up. And it, the way it did it, it was it was like a Marvel movie, like foreshadowing of another superhero who we just kind of get a tease of, but we haven't quite seen yet. It, it was kind of a cool goosebumpy moment, like, man, they have no clue that fucking one of the best wrestlers ever is just coming right behind them. And then in 2004, Chavo Sr. would head to the WWE, joining Chavo Jr. in his feud against his brother, Eddie, and the young rookie would even get his hands on the cruiserweight title. Chavo Classic, baby. Man, he, 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 he beats up Kurt Angle. He kicks John Cena in the face. He's got MILF groupies. I mean, what else more do you want in a WWF uh, run? It's one of those runs that's like, it shouldn't have fucking happened. <laughs> but somehow it's like, no, this makes fucking sense. It makes fucking sense that Chavo Guerrero is the cruiserweight fucking champion. <laughs> and like, it just, I don't know why. It just, it's very fucking weird, but somehow it just works. And very soon you'll, you'll fucking see why. I know I've been teasing my fucking story for quite some time, but it's it's the it's the whole reason that we're fucking doing this podcast. <laughs> we're just trying to get to this fucking Jake Manning story with Chavo Guerrero at the end. And at this point, it, it better be good, or just everybody's gonna hate us. You know, <laughs> it's gonna be the best. I promise. <laughs> right. Chavo would drop the title to Rey Mysterio Jr. June seventeenth, oh four, SmackDown. Which uh, holy shit! I mean, Rey Mysterio Jr. and Chavo Senior at a match on WWE. That's just weird. Chavo does a top rope moonsault at the age of, was he, mid-40s, late-40s there, and lands it on Ray. He's still going for stuff, man. I mean, at this point, he's been wrestling at least 30 years. So, yeah, <laughs> he's like 50. And then in June of 04, he got fired because he just straight up didn't go to a bunch of shows. <laughs> like <laughs> he, he, admit, he talks about it in the shoot, and it's, it's one reason I do like him because he kind of owns up to it. It was like, I was very unprofessional. I just didn't go to the shows. I mean, he at least, he at least admits it. See, I think that was kind of like a reputation of Chavo later in his years. He'd just be like, fuck this, or like, I deserve more money. Because at the same time, too, like, he he did the territory stuff, but he didn't get that big, huge run in the NWA. Right. Making big money and everybody. T I mean, he was referred to as the million-dollar guy, but he wasn't making a million dollars. He wasn't on Turner's payroll making a shit ton of money. He wasn't in WWF of the 80s making a ton of money. So, the, like, 
And I'm sure he was a little bit sour about that, and he took it out on a lot of a lot of people over the years. I think there was kind of a little bit of a reputation of him being a bit cantankerous. Well, he talks about how Bruiser Brody was a mentor and told him not to take shit for promoters. So I'm sure at a certain point, like it was with Brody and him, it's like there's bullshit, but then maybe at some point it kind of goes to your head and you're just it's a little too extreme. Yeah, you got to do business at some point in time. There's a time to like just like, all right, we got to do this for business. At the same time, too, like that attitude of like me, 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 I got to do what's right for me. That's what got you to the position that you are today. So you can't really shut. It's very hard to shut off and turn on. We're going to kind of go backwards here for a second because I don't want to have to skip over Lucha Underground because we've never got to talk about Lucha Underground on this. And hopefully, I guess we don't ever have to because that means someone's dead. But I love Lucha Underground, man. And Chavo would have an appearance on it. And for I just think everything that Lucha Underground meant, having Chavo Sr. on it is just like a cherry on top. I admittedly have never seen any Lucha Underground. I know I suck before you say it yourself, but um, I just couldn't believe that Chavo turned on Rey Mysterio and sided with his son. Oh my God, I couldn't (laughs) believe it. Well, and the thing is with Lucha Underground, like I was just did an interview, a fireside chat with Brian Cage, and he talked about like these guys treated us like like artists and performers. And Brian Cage was like, this is the first time that I felt like a fucking rock star or a celebrity was the way that Lucha Underground treated me. Now, of course, the contract thing that everybody had to deal with at the end fucking sucked. But, you know, someone like Robert Rodriguez behind something like this, like, hey, these guys are performers. You need to treat them well. Uh, treat them as you would Antonio Banderas or, or some Hayek or whoever. <laughs> treat them as that. As opposed to these indie guys that you dangle this fucking carrot in front of. Like, oh, we got wrestling. We got wrestling. We got wrestling. You'll do whatever we want, you know. <laughs> but treat them with the yeah, utmost respect. And that's what I've always wondered is what the relationship was with junior and senior. I've always been curious because the few times that I've been around Chavo, I think I've like dropped hints like, hey, you know, I, I wrestled your father. And he's, and he's like, oh, 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 like he just kind of like shrugged it off. Like huh. and I could tell there was something like, mm, right, I don't want right, right. to talk about my father. But at the same time, too, like I was bringing that up with Chavo after obviously his father has passed and after Eddie has passed. After being the guy that got the text message from Chris Benoit, there's a lot of goddamn death in fucking yes. <laughs> Chavo Jr.'s life. So yeah. maybe he doesn't want to talk about somebody who's not fucking there because I'm sure fans come up to him all the time like, I really loved Eddie so much. Yeah. And like feel like they're talking to right. Eddie when they're really yeah. talking to Chavo Jr. So anytime that I tried to hint around it, I, I, I kind of realized he doesn't really want to talk about his father. But I don't know, maybe in the right state of mind or form or whatever. Yeah, I was going to say, context is huge. And on top of that, it's like Chavo is an absurdly talented, very capable professional wrestler, great accomplishments under his belt, had success every promotion he's ever been in, but like he's still kind of Chavo's son and he's Eddie's nephew. And it's like, fucking, I'm here. What What about me? Yeah, at some point it has to like wear you down. Oh yeah, like that that match, There's the, I've seen matches where like Chavo versus Ray I gotta say, I mean, they, I mean, no, get me wrong, the Halloween Havoc match with Ray Jr. and Eddie is yeah. incredible. It's yeah. untouchable, but I can't think of another Eddie and fucking Ray matches as good as some of the matches that Chavo had with Ray, especially, I think, uh, Great American Bash 2004. That match is fucking insanely good. <laughs> really like, that is, that is something you show at a fucking wrestling school how good it is. It's cool. in fucking incredible. I, and I can't think of a fucking Eddie and Ray match that's better than that, other than that Halloween Havoc one, obviously. 
All right, and now we'll we'll kind of flip it back, step back a little bit because he'll do some indie stuff around the Americas. You know, he's getting up in age. He's not doing too much, but he would run into the man scout Jake Banning. So I'm trying to remember if this was 2008 or 2009. It's one. It's one or the other. George South told me he's like, "Hey, Bullet, I have a show in Dallas, Texas, on Fourth of July." I of course like anything that George said, like wrestling show. Yes, absolutely. Not realizing that we're going to make this drive all the way through the fucking night <laughs> and get there at like 11 o'clock in the morning and the show's not until fucking 7 or 8. Yeah, that's right. A 4th of July show that's happening at 7 or 8. So <laughs> if you do the math, that means most people are waiting to see fucking fireworks on 4th of July as opposed to it being like in an afternoon on 4th of July and then we could have just came back home and we'd get back at a decent time and also too we we drove in a like two-door Pontiac all the way there it was like cramped the whole time but I was wrestling and also too like there's this girl that I was kind of seeing and she invited me to go on a boat uh, for 4th of July and like we probably could have ended up hooking up and becoming a couple but I fucking turned her down to go wrestle in Dallas <laughs> For uh, a motor whose name is Ronnie Gossett, who is considered one of the most unreputable motors of all time. <laughs> the same time, too, like, you know, looking back, I wouldn't fucking trade anything because that's how much I love professional wrestling that I would just shake off this girl who had feelings for me. And I'll never forget she called me from the boat. Like, she goes, I wish you were here. We could spend time together. And I just, <laughs> this is after, like, I'd slept on a cold gym floor for like five <laughs> hours. And it's still another four hours before the show starts, which is happening during fucking fireworks on 4th of July. I was just like, man, I might've made a bad decision, but at the same time too, like even then I knew it was the right decision. Like, cause I, I chose professional wrestling and, and it's a, it's a decision I, I keep thinking about all the time. Like, man, I just, I should have done more of that. And I should have always chose wrestling over any interpersonal relationships, which now is a 38 year old man who's alone in the middle of a <laughs> pandemic. Um, <laughs> I question that as well. But that's what this show was. This was a show that was a symbol of that. To add on to that, that I made the right fucking decision was the fact that for whatever reason, I don't I, I didn't know who I was wrestling. I had no fucking idea who I was going to fucking wrestle. But they made the card out, and I ended up in a tag match with Chavo Guerrero Sr. I don't know how. It Basically, it, the way it broke down is I think it was... Me and it was one of Chavo's students and me taking on Chavo and a guy was kind of like his Jake Manning to his George South, like Rudy Russo. <laughs> and Rudy Russo, I think he even did some like, he's done some extra talent over the years. He's done some Ring of Honor spots. Like Rudy Russo, very capable Texas guy. I, I should talk to like uh, Sammy Guevara and Ricky Starks if they know Rudy Russo. Uh, he, he might be beloved or he might be shit talked. I don't know. But he's, he's, he was a cool level-headed dude and he was the guy that kind of broke it all down. Like I remember when they said, hey, you're going to be a tag match with Chavo Guerrero and it's with the students. I just kind of assumed that Chavo was going to do spots with the students and then tag Rudy in and me do some spots and then like I put the heat on Rudy Rudy and the Chavo makes the comeback and I thought it was just gonna be very simple like that and like like Rudy was like hey man just let you know it's probably gonna go like this but he, and he also said too like hey just watch out like you know Chavo can be a little, little cantankerous I was like yeah sure whatever man and he, he was just listening to Chavo I'm like sure no problem and like 2008 2009 that Jake Manning 
fucking best that I ever was about calling it in the ring. Like a guy that could just go to the fucking ring with as little information as possible and create a fucking story and an art form. Like probably the best only rivaling who I am as of today. And that's only after like months of training with Lucky Ali and just coming up with tackle, drop down, get it again and coming up spots over and over and over again for the last three months in the middle of this pandemic. Like I'm as good at that as I was in 2009, but in 2009, 2008, never better, never sharper, best physical condition of my life. Also pretty sizable. I was 230 pounds and moved about as good as I do now, if not better. So I was going to the ring with little or no fucking information. Chavo just... It was kind of like, hey, what's going on, man? My name's Chavo Guerrero. Like, he's just very <laughs> laid. It was like this like super fucking laid back dude. But he was like putting some stuff together and talking about what we're going to do. And none of it made any fucking sense. Because, you know, I, I just broke down a very simple psychology of how the match goes. Right. He was talking completely opposite. And none of it was making any fucking sense. I'm like, and it's like, I don't understand what we're doing. <laughs> like, the story of this match is just fucking schizophrenic. David Lynch. Yeah, like 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 a David Lynch mail. I was like, "What the fuck is going on? Like, why do we are doing? Is this an Easter egg that I don't fucking know about?" Like, I just was like, "This is fucking weird." Like all the stuff he said he was gonna do, and then I'll never forget. He said he goes, "Hey, for the finish, he goes, if you don't fuck up, uh, the finish will be I'll give you a hurricanrana, but if you fuck anything up, it's gonna be a small package." <laughs> so I'm like, "Oh fuck, man, I'm gonna fuck anything up with Chavo Guerrero, senior." And like, it was just very laid back and we were throwing stuff at it. And it's like, I kept hitting, I was like, I don't fucking know what any of this means. And, and, and I kept going to Rudy and like, I, the psychologist match doesn't make sense. And Rudy goes, yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> like, we're just going to go out to the ring and do shit apparently. And we just, we had some stuff and I'll never forget too. Like we're sitting in the back waiting for our music to hit. And there was like a, a stage with some stairs. And obviously like I was the heel. Chavo's was like, fuck, man, this is my fucking song. I'm fucking, I shouldn't be coming out first. Fuck. And then all of a sudden he goes, oh, well. And I'll never forget. It was like a, in a movie in slow motion. He ran up the stairs of the stage to the entranceway. And it was, it was just like, as he was running up the, the stairs and the song was playing, and I'll just never forget him running up the stairs. Like, here's this guy who's like in his 50s. And it, the way that he ran up the stairs was just incredible. It was like the most athletic thing I've ever seen. It was something out of a fucking movie. It was like happening in slow motion. And I'm like, that is the coolest motherfucker I've ever seen before in my life. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why I thought that at yeah. that moment. I go, holy fucking shit, man. Because he just kind of been like very laid back all day and kind of like, I think at one point in time was like doing like on a chair, like the little crunch thing where you fucking sit behind and then you crunch your knees to your chest and like a little ab thing. And then he like did some dips in the chair and be like, all right, I'm warm. But the way he ran up, I'm like, man, he kind of ran up there like a gazelle. <laughs> I think he's a bit more athletic than what I'm thinking. Yeah. So like, I thought I was going to start with like Rudy and we we're going to have a match or he was going to start with a student. And Chavo was in there at the beginning of the match. So I was like, all right, well, I guess he wants a student to start, you know, because you know, Chavo's in right now. So he probably wants to wrestle a student and start the match that way. But they probably got a spot they'd like to run. And all of a sudden, Chavo goes, no, 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 him, 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 him. And he started pointing at me. And I go, oh, fuck. You can, you, you can start with me, motherfucker? That's not what we call I was like, this is not what we call in the back. But nothing, anything we call in the back didn't make any goddamn sense. So why the fuck not? So I start wrestling with him and I'm just, you know, wrestling. we're just wrestling around, like just kind of rolling and chain wrestling. And here's just the incredible thing about Chavo Guerrero. And I, and I try to convey this to students all the time, especially to Lucky Ali, who's, who tries all these unique things. And I try to explain to him this experience that I went through with Chavo. 
we're wrestling and I'm we're going at it and exchanging and like anytime he gets a hold I'm trying to get to another hold and and it's like we're not talking we're just going through we're wrestling wrestling and we're doing it and it would get to a point where we get in one position and he would say front roll and as soon as he would say it I would front roll and then he would be like get to your belly and I get to my belly and then he would do something and then he would just be like get up throw a clothesline and I'll grab you by the waist it, like it would be something real fast and then he would do something unique like like I was saying before earlier, he would just tell me to front roll, but he's doing the most incredible thing in the world while I'm front roll. <laughs> right. All he needs to tell me is like, hey, do first day wrestling school front roll. I'm going to do all the other fucking cool shit. Like he's got like, like the short arm scissors thing and, and the roll through. And like all he's telling me is just front roll, back roll, this roll. Yeah, like, and we're doing this most incredible, these most incredible things that I've never done before and probably have never done since. And all he is telling me is just the simplest maneuvers of just like, get up, grab a waist lock. And then he would do something incredible and then fucking get me something. So like, I just had to be there and just had to just do whatever role or whatever thing he wanted to do. <laughs> and then there was like a moment in time in the middle of the heat and he like came in and then started beating the shit out of this fucking student on the outside. And then like, there was like, we can, can you have this match? And like, I didn't fuck anything up. And like, he kept me in there for a while with him in the beginning and then got back in and then wrestled me again. And we were going back and forth and like, you're waiting for the big baby face comeback, but that didn't really come. And then like, he came in and he did a couple things and then tag Rudy in. like, none of it made any goddamn sense. Like, I'm going through all this. and just listen to him. He's telling me front roll, go for hip toss and do this. And like, or watch out for this O'Connor roll, but he's really doing something else instead of an O'Connor roll, but it doesn't make a difference. The movement for me is the same as an O'Connor roll. Like there's just shit that's just going on, but he's just calling the simplest thing, but he's doing something complex around whatever simple movement, like take a hip toss, but he's, he's doing a fucking half gainer while fucking I'm flipping for a hip toss. Like it's just shit like that the whole fucking time. And then finally gets to the end. And I'm like, Holy fuck, man, I haven't fucked anything up yet. And then it gets to a point where we get to the end, where the, the designated end spot. I'm like, oh, I recognize this. This is where we go to the end. And I'm so jazzed. I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm going to take a Huracarana from fucking <laughs> Chavo Guerrero Sr. Like, this is going to be amazing. And I'm just like, this is so worth blowing that fucking girl off. Like, And he gave me this European uppercut and this roaring European uppercut. And I'm just trying to fucking sell it as big as fucking possible. I just like fucking oversell it like a jobber from WCW Saturday night because I know the finish is coming. <laughs> I'm trying to create enough space for him to fucking do the Huracarana. But the thing was, he leaned in to do the European uppercut. And I reared back and over, like really oversold it back. But then I also like leaned forward a little bit in almost in a fast motion, expecting him not to be there anymore because when you do the European, boom. And then you kind of turn your body and he was going to position himself for that. But obviously, he's a 50-year-old man. So when my head went back, he's still in the same spot he was for the European. <laughs> and our heads collided. Oh. Like, real accident. He goes, oh, fuck. And then out of nowhere, he goes, sorry, kid. And small package. <laughs> and I was like, oh! I get to the fucking end! And it one, two, three. And that was the finish. But then, like, it was at a high school gym, and there was a shower downstairs. I was, like, kind of embarrassed. Like, oh, fuck. I fuck up everything. I did everything right except for the fucking end. I was so bummed out. And I just, like, I was down there getting changed, and, like, he was getting ready to get in the shower. And I go, hey, man, I'm real sorry about the finish. 
and I'll never forget this as long as I live. He had every right to just kind of be a dick or he had every right to just kind of fuck with me. And he, like, baby-faced it up. He goes, no, don't worry about it, man. It's okay. Like, it's probably shouldn't be. Like, he made me feel so good about my Aww. fucking self. And I was like, man, that was, that was fucking cool, man. Like, that's... I remember, like, after, like... Because he took a shower and got out of there before I did. And then, like, I took, like, an extra second to, to like, sit around and think, like... Man, I just trust the child we were a senior. How fucking cool... How many people can fucking say that? And, like... It was as good as it was. Like, holy fucking shit, man. This is just unbelievable. And I just kind of absorbed it. And I just kept thinking, like, man, like, I would have fucking missed out on this if I just went on some boat with some fucking girl. Like, and it's just, like, I always think about that when it's a situation. And this is probably, once again, why I'm fucking single in the middle of a fucking pandemic. Um... Anytime I'm in a situation where it's like, you know, you could do this for this interpersonal relationship or you could do this for this, you know, you could miss out on this or not do this because of this or family time or this or that. Or you really can go on a bike ride or not go to the show or do this or not get this booking on this weekend or or take this time to invest in a relationship you're in. And then I started thinking about like this is like, man. I would have missed out on a great opportunity like that. And I didn't know I was going to get this opportunity until I got there. But I got it. It could have been a shit opportunity and I would have hated every second of it. But I took the gamble and it fucking paid off. And I just always think about that with Chavo Guerrero, like how cool that experience was. And it's like, and I could have, I could have went one way and missed out on it. And I just like, man, I really need, need to just choose professional wrestling as much as I possibly can. And to go back to the psychology of the match. So obviously it's a long drive home from Dallas, Texas. And like, I'm in the backseat of a fucking two seater fucking Pontiac. And I'm just sitting there thinking about the match, and I keep thinking about it more and more and the things we did. And then all of a sudden, like, it was like a fucking usual suspects moment. And I'm like, holy shit, that's what he was trying to fucking do with the psychology of the fucking match. <laughs> like, it all came together. Like, I didn't realize what the psychology was the match until, like, halfway home from Dallas. <laughs> like, I, it was like we crossed, like, the Alabama state line. I go, holy fuck, that's what the story of the match was. <laughs> oh, I'm such an idiot. It was it was a formative fucking experience in my fucking life and just unbelievable. Anytime I've ever tried to tell people the story, it's just it's it's like a cornerstone in my wrestling career. Also, too, I got a really great story about Skandar Akbar, which we'll probably tell if we if we ever do Skandar Akbar. Like he was in a locker room holding court. It was such like a great wrestling trip, but like getting to wrestle Chavo Guerrero Senior and getting that. I mean, like I said, being able to be the, one of the few people that have wrestled Chavo Senior and Junior is pretty, hell yeah, pretty sweet, you know. But yeah, that's that's one of the cool things of my career is like cool memories of of picking professional wrestling and it rewarding me with such a great memory of such a great man and innovator of professional wrestling. All right, so heading into the 2010s, Chavo would sadly get diagnosed with liver cancer, and on February 11th, 2017, we lost the legendary Chavo Guerrero Sr. at the age of 68. And final thoughts on Chavo. Right off the bat, I want to say that I'm a poser because Chavo has three movies on IMDb that I meant to watch before this recording, but I did not. But I acquired them all, and I will take an edible and watch them all in a marathon some night, and it'll be a glorious thing. But I will watch the one and only, a 1978 wrestling movie starring Henry Winkler, 
I will also watch Alligator 2, which I don't need to describe it. The title describes it. And Streets of Rage, a 1990s action direct-to-video movie. But I will watch all those Chavo movies because, damn it, they sound all entertaining. Jake was talking about how you get on the mic and you kind of be like, yeah, I was at Shea Stadium and that's my thing. Chavo talks about how in one year he wrestled Dory Funk, Terry Funk, Superstar Billy Graham, Nick Bockwinkle, and Harley Race Jesus. in the main event. Yeah, I mean, just that shows how much the world thought of him because they knew they could go in there and challenge him and they'd draw and how much respect they had. And I forgot to bring this up earlier, but Chavo talks about how Harley Race would do a rib where when he put Harley Race in a headlock, that Harley Race would suck on his nipple. <laughs> and I know I'm doing a final thought, but Jake, have you ever encountered that rib? No, but I'm glad you got that in. I was like, man, when is there a good moment to talk about Because <laughs> it's one of the few things that people know about Chavo Guerrero, and it's a fucking shame. <laughs> so. That story just killed me, though. Chavo was so, that shoot interview, he, he's so damn charismatic, man. You, when you watch him start to get into it and tell these stories, you don't have to see him wrestle. You understand why the fuck he got over, why people loved him so much. Because he just popped. You could see it in his eyes and the way he told a story and how excited he was and how invested and passionate he was about the business, whether he's in the ring doing lightning fast arm drags or he's just sitting at a table talking to high spots about the good old days. But another thing that really got to me about Chavo is he talks about this moment where he's trembling in the ring when he's wrestling Dory Funk for the first time. And I always love shit like that, where there's artists who are now have huge respect and they're almost gods and magical, but when they humanize themselves and they expose that vulnerability when they were starting out and how Chavo could barely get through the match with Dory because he was shaking so much. It just, he, he knew how to connect with people. He knew how to make you identify. And it, like I said, it's either just sitting there talking to you or it's in the ring. Um, one person that would agree with me wholeheartedly is, uh, from my research, the original Tiger Mask, Satoru Siyama, once said in an interview that Chavo was the best wrestler he's ever been in the ring with. So don't listen to me up here jerking off. I mean, that's one of the best and most innovative saying it. One thing we didn't get to is Chavo did a lot of tag team work with Steamboat. Look that stuff up. There's all types of good stuff on YouTube. Uh, one saying that uh, Chavo, in a like a cool hip way that I now want to start a new slang, Chavo at one point says that JYD was a maximum friend. And I'm going to try to get that going. Saying everything's maximum. I don't know. That's probably not going to work. I'm an idiot. But uh, one thing I did, I, I brought up a lot of my favorite matches that I did research on about Chavo. But I saved my favorite for the last. And this is my number one recommendation for Chavo. If you've never watched anything he does, look up Chavo Guerrero versus Mighty Inoue, All Japan 226.84. This is for the NWA International Junior Heavyweight title. It's when Chavo has the belt. And it ha right off the bat, there's that big match, full crowd intensity. Chavo comes out in just a suit jacket and the double bullet bandoliers, body armor shit. Like right off the bat, they knew how to do that spectacle that made everything feel big. Chavo does this test of strength knuckle lock spot that he turns into a Boston crab that I've never, I mean, I got it in my notes, never seen that. They're so crafty. They're trying all types of stuff. There's botches in this thing because you can tell they're going so hard and they kind of get blown up, but the, the ambition and the passion comes across so hard. And I marked out watching this match because it's so much fun. It's just, it's so much fun. It, it's got all the levels to wrestling. It's high spots, mat wrestling, crafty submission stuff. 
I just can't recommend this one enough. But um, Chavo is just seriously, I like I said, I was so ignorant and dumb where I didn't really know how they all linked up. But I'm so glad we did this one, and I'm so glad Jake had that crazy-ass story just... Because, I mean, fuck, Chavo was amazing. Just watch some of his matches in the ring. For the context and the day of time, some of the stuff he's doing is just flipping all over the place. And, uh, man, he, he's just, he's a fun dude in front of a camera or in a ring. But, shit, he he needs a lot more love. Yeah, I'll double down on the shoot because, man, he's so lovable and funny and so much charisma. It, it, he should have had a podcast. <laughs> yeah like i could listen to him talk about wrestling all day i could watch him wrestle all day he was, he was so good and there there's so much great art from like the 70s or even the 80s where today we're so jaded by it but you know the first time someone saw prior do race stuff people's head exploded the, <laughs> the the first time people heard jerry seinfeld say oh what's the deal with losing a sock in the dryer like people were like <laughs> fuck you do lose socks in the dryer and, and like now it's like whatever but that was chavo he was doing groundbreaking stuff first of all as a minority in a definitely a white dominated industry he was doing it as a little guy in a giant dominated industry. And he was like the first to do so many things that happen in every match of a wrestling show now. But he was like the innovator of that shit. Again, I know we give Dynamite Kid rightfully so much credit for bringing in the smaller man, the high flyer the, uh, style. But Chavo was doing it in a time period where like that sh it wasn't just like not done it was like frowned upon like they were fucking old timers like like what the fuck is this shit you're gonna jump off the goddamn top rope we're doing headlocks goddamn it so like it's he's just he was like just out of the time period of he's kind of like harley where like he's so great but he was just like right before the tv and the pay-per-views and, and and the giant push for the industry like popped up so like he definitely overshadowed by eddie and you know maybe rightfully so eddie's one of the goats but even just being chavo's dad and and it sucks because it's kind of like a, a back and forth there where he's just chavo's son and he's just chavo's dad and they're both fucking incredible I don't know. Uh, so much respect for uh, an innovator, a guy who, without a doubt, broke down a thousand doors for uh, Latinx people. Just one of the best to do it. Go back, take a look at some of his matches, because, dude, he was really incredible. I mean, there's not a whole lot I can say that's not a whole lot different than the story that I told about just how incredible I think he was. But, like, to me, you know, to reiterate, like, I was, I was in the ring with him, and I didn't know... What he was doing. <laughs> I like he would just tell me a simple thing like front roll and or he would say, Do this and then he I think at one point during the, the, the match he did like a, a standing front flip and like landed on his feet. <laughs> or like or standing back flip or something. I remember him cutting a flip mid mid ring and I'm like, What the fuck? <laughs> it was and it wasn't even like, Hey, watch out for this and then I'm gonna flip. It was like do the like duck a clothesline or hook the ropes and then he just like did it. It was like a lot of the stuff that he put together was just like, hey, I just need you to do this. I'll do something spectacular. Don't fucking worry. <laughs> and this is in his 50s. So I can't even imagine like in his prime, in his 20s, and his 30s, wrestling a man like that and him just being like, hey, uh, go down for a backdrop. And then all of a sudden he fucking flips off my back and then comes around and then turns it around to the sunset flip. And he's done a triple gainer before he ever gets to me and rolls me up. But it's effortless and seamless. And 
I think that's the incredible part of, about him is that like you just had to be there. You just had to be there for that fucking greatness. He wasn't expecting you to be like, hey, you know, don't worry. I- I'm going to do something incredible. And for him not to have like a super fucking attitude with me or him have a super attitude with anybody else. Like anytime I ever saw, saw him at a convention, he'd always be like one of the first guys at the bar getting beers and hanging out with like guys that he used to pal around with. He'd wear a big old, he'd wear a big old cowboy hat and he'd be like sitting (laughs) next to Bob Orton and just talking about the good old days. And for him to be like, be so incredible and just break it down and dumb it down for everybody else and not having an attitude about it. Like, I think just speaks volume of his character that it's like, yeah, I know I'm incredible, but you know, you got, you were there too. Like, it's just kind of like, like, like the, the, the confidence level, but yet you know, the arrogance level being as high is just something that's absolutely incredible with him. And he's, like I said, definitely one of those guys that's going to get forgotten about, but as a high flyer, it wasn't a whole lot, a whole lot better as, as a revolutionary guy. So um, I'm glad we took the time to really give him the props and the respect that he deserves as being one of like just the innovators and in, in high flying and, and moonsaults and head scissors and everything that every indie guy does today. He really paved the way for all of us. All right. I have to give a big thank you to uh, the Melton goats for letting us use their song. Uh, you fucking listen to me, Apple yeah. and YouTube, you motherfuckers. I have permission. <laughs> I have a paper trail. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you can check out uh, the Melton Goats at meltongoats.com. They're a band in the modern era. They're on Spotify. They're on. I've seen them live. I've seen them oh, live. Oh, really? I don't brag. That's I've awesome. Seen them live. You can also find us on the internet at timbellpod.com on the social medias. Please leave us a rating and a review. We need those to pop up on things, I guess. Uh, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash timbellpod. We wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't bring up the point that Chavo in his shoot interview says the following line, Vader is an idiot. So <laughs> I think we just, we got to give it to Chavo for big old hashtag fuck Vader. He was the innovator of hashtag fuck Vader for everybody else. Once again, Chavo Guerrero being the innovator that he is. Damn Skippy. He was my hero back when I was a kid. You let me down, but Chavo never once did. You called him names to try to get beneath my skin Now your ashes are scattered on the wind I heard his son got famous and he went nationwide Coast to coast with his dad by his side I don't know if that's true, but I've been told It's real sweet to grow old You look hot, it's my last hope Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Man Scout, Jake Manning. Thank you very much for listening to 10 Bell Pod. I can't thank you guys enough for being subscribers and people who leave reviews, but also too, big, big thank you to people who are our patrons on Patreon. Now, some of you may be hearing that like, wait a minute, I'm not a, a patron on a Patreon for you guys. And you might be like, hey, I want to do that. I want it. And I want an extra thank you. I left a review. I subscribe, but I want an extra thank you from the Man Scout Jake Manning because that third thank you doesn't apply to you unless you are a patron on our Patreon page. Make sure you check it out at patreon.com slash 10 bell pod.